Hi, I'm Pete Atkins, and I'm sitting here with Clive Barker and Ashley Lawrence. I'm going to act as a, as a kind of moderator. I'll try and stay out of the way as they discuss a movie they made nearly 15 years ago. Good God. Clive Barker's <laughs> Hellraiser. Well, Clive, it is 15 years. Um, any initial thoughts before we start watching the movie? What, what are you expecting to I'm feel? I'm clammy. Uh, <laughs> clammy pond with anticipation of total failure. Um <laughs> No, you know, we were talking before we began, just saying that time is sort of forgiving. There you are. Introduced. Uh, yes, introduced. Um, that uh, time is sort of forgiving in, in a sense. A couple of years after we saw this movie, we probably didn't like it at all. I saw it again reasonably recently mm -hmm. and thought it was a, a movie of its period, which worked actually pretty well. Good. And um, I have... I have, and Ashley, you must go to this because you were so much a part of this too. I have the most wonderful memories of doing it. Yes. And I think in a way that's almost as important as what we're watching right now is just the memory of doing it. No, it definitely symbolizes an entire time in my life. Yeah. It's like a family dog. Yeah. Kind of. It becomes much more than the actual entity. I remember uh, standing outside the studio where we were doing the uh, the re-recording of, of the, the stuff with Ashley. I was not living in Los Angeles then, and the sun was shining, and everything felt just... I thought, this is as good as it gets. I've made this movie. I don't know what it's like yet. I had this lovely lady's being. We were having a charming time. We were actually doing pretty well, and the sun was shining, and it was L.A., and I thought, well... This is, uh, this is why I wanted to get into the movie. Take it. It's yours. This scene was done on a set, which if you had panned to left or right from that shot, uh -huh. you, would have, you would have seen uh, Naked Wall. It was such a small set. <laughs> Most of this stuff was done just as you were... You know, within the... In a bathroom? Yeah, in incredibly small. Right, I mean, it, it was... You, you had a small studio at Cricklewood and a, a location house in... Dollars Hill, uh -huh. North London. Uh -huh. And the the studio, you see a studio, it was essentially a village hall. Right. You remember? A single stage. It was a single stage. Yeah. yeah. That and a little family of people doing this for what was under a million dollars at that time. Uh-huh. A very small, loyal group of people. Yeah, and we're looking at some nice Robin Vigian oh, horror cool. movie lighting here now. Yes. He's and, so defined. Right. And, I mean, that was the thing, Clive. In, in terms of commercial movie making, this was your first feature as a director, not your first as a writer, but your first as a director. How important was it to you to have seasoned pros like Robin and Dickie Martin around you? I was you? surrounded by... Um, uh, look at that. That's pretty, that's pretty grisly. <laughs> I, like the, I like the poor, Mark, Yeah, so that was really good. Grizzly. I had um, Dickie Martin, who edited for Schlesinger and for David Lean, uh, Robin Vigeon, who'd done a host of extraordinary pictures. And I had Bob Keane and right. his team, the special effects guys, who had come off Aliens and Highlander and a bunch right. of other movies. And I think they were all drawn to this because we were doing something which was for the British film industry at that time. And I suppose it's worth saying we made this in Britain. Pretty rare. It was a very intense horror movie. 
Well, it's certainly a very intense opening that we're watching here, for sure. Yeah. And I remember, you know, although obviously we'd worked together in theatre many years before this, and I, I was later to become involved with the Hellraiser series, I saw this movie, despite visiting the set, I saw it for the first time as a viewer, and I remember seeing this opening sequence and thinking, Jesus Christ, is it all going to be this intense? <laughs> what the hell are they thinking? Well, the lessons come from people like Cronenberg. Uh, I remember vividly seeing Scanners, mm -hmm. which has that exploding head very early on in the movie, and, right. and which is a, one of those scenes which tames the audience. I think uh, horror movie audiences, even now, still need to be tamed in a way early on with something that really delivers something intense. And the audience says, okay, we're in the hands of somebody who, who really wants to scare us. We'll give, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and then you buy the next 40 minutes of exposition, in yeah. effect, by giving yeah, them... It may not yeah. be as much as 40 minutes. It may be only 20. <laughs> but but I, I certainly think... And I, this is for me as a, a viewer as well. I think you need to know. I mean, the beginning of Jaws, um, you know, the death of the girl in Jaws, mm -hmm. or or um, the opening of uh, the Cronenberg picture of Scanners, movies which have these intense, shocking things going on very early on, which we've just we've just we've just moved past that passage in this movie, mm -hmm. and now we're into, as you say, exposition, and we're going to watch what, uh, 10 minutes of exposition, perhaps more, before mm -hmm. we actually get to something more horrific. And we're going to do some setting up of story. And uh, hopefully the audience is ready for that story because they've been tamed by <laughs> what preceded Sure. It. Now, had you learned that lesson when you wrote the script or did you change a sequence when you shot it or did you change it when you edited it or, or did you write that stuff in from the get-go? I get -go? think it's part of storytelling uh -huh. generally. I think it's, I think, probably as a, sto a short story writer and I'd written by this point four books, three books of short stories mm -hmm. and a novel. I think I knew that I needed to deliver some uh, thrills and spills early on in the narrative in order to gain the attention of the reader. Uh, so I don't think it's I don't think it's an issue which is just pertinent to movie making. I think it's about storytelling sure. generally. It all goes. I thought half of it was your brothers. I've never known him to kick cash out of bed. Besides, he's probably behind bars someplace. You know, <laughs> we have to let Kirsty see this place before we do a thing to it. I never liked this scene. This was pure exposition. I never liked it as I was shooting it. It was one of those scenes where we were shooting it, and I was thinking, "This is," and it was very early on in the in the shoot. And I remember thinking, "I'm screwing this up. I shouldn't." Be. <laughs> They really shouldn't be doing this. I've got a terrific job. You're back on your own turf. We pretty much shot in order, though. We pretty much shot in order, which is I know. why the early parts are <laughs> <laughs> so a little weaker, I think, than the later parts. It's kind of a luxury, though, yes. to, to be able to do that. Well, it was for me, and I suppose for you, too, because you were a fledgling, too. Yes. Is this the first movie you made? Yes. Yes. My first anything. The first anything. <gasps> Andy came into it with hugely more experience than anybody else uh, on that side of the camera. Claire Higgins, who was playing opposite him, had great theater experience but very little cinema experience. And he, um, 
he was occasionally difficult. I think he would be the first to admit it. Um, and I was, I didn't help that by being indecisive on occasion, not really knowing quite what I was doing. He was making a huge act of faith. He was flying over to England. Here he was making this movie with somebody who'd never directed a picture before. And he was putting himself in the, in the middle of this thing. And I think sometimes he got anxious about that. And I think sometimes I didn't do, oh, Lord, sometimes I didn't do all that I could have done to reassure. You know, I think the thing that people very often miss in the directing chores, you, you are at very least, uh, 50% of the time, you are um, you're a diplomat. Please come into this Ashley, because, it, you know, it, that's a Well, I'm nodding, which you can't hear. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. No, I think you're forced to mediate with with inter interrelated between the actors with what you want in the scene. Um, I was talking to Pete before about how great it is to, in, in a positive sense to be manipulated by a director, not in, like, a bad relationship way, but in in the way where you know what you want and you know the person well enough to know what to stimulate into them in them to get right. the response that you need and that's really lovely this is an interesting scene cuz we had this girl and i think she was i think she was um a professional lady if you understand <laughs> and uh, she came up and she shot these uh these stills with Sean Chapman, which were to be these stills of our Frank uh, with a prostitute that uh, that Julia is now going through. And I, I remember every single member of the crew trying to get into a tiny, tiny room to see these things <laughs> oh, yeah. being shot. Actually, I don't think I was even there when they were being shot, uh, but everybody else was. Call me tomorrow. What is nice is that we're sort of setting up a number of storylines at the same time here. Mm -hmm. It's a relatively sophisticated narrative. You know, we're watching dad and and daughter Which on the Which is also one kind hand. of twisted as she's watching the, the Her own sexual with, thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. See, I didn't recognize all that stuff because I was so young. And now I look back and I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's what he was doing. <laughs> you know? Well, it's a family saga. <laughs> it really is. It is a family saga. It's just a very twisted kind. Isn't it interesting? One of the things which shows its period is the hair. Oh, the hair. The isn't hair. It, it's always the way, isn't it? But I, I think, again, that's the um, the two-year gap versus the ten-year gap yes. you were talking about. It, it's like 60s fashions looked terrible in the late 70s. Yes. Now they look cool again. And yeah, but know, I look 80s like the fashion singer looks bad, of you know. <laughs> Now we're about to get um, a little walk-on by... On the left of the screen here, Oliver Parker, who played with Pete and I in a number of theatrical productions and more recently has become a director himself. There he is leaning on the mattress. He directed uh, The Othello with Larry Fishburne and more recently An Ideal Husband with Rupert Everett, a great pal. Uh, from way back, we did theater stuff. How long have we known Oliver? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. In fact, Ollie... Um as uh, as I said on the <laughs> I, as I said on the Hellbound disc, Ollie was in fact my replacement in Dog Company. Um, right. Dog Company was such a collective that um, I was involved in auditioning my own replacement, which was the first time I, I met Ollie, and that was uh, 1980. This was a scene that was added at the behest of Tony Randall, who directed Number Two, mm -hmm. who came in to look at the picture 
late on and said, you know, we need to open this picture up just a little bit. It's And remember, we did this on a Sunday mm-hmm. morning. I liked that. Yeah, it was very nice. And Tony had a nice architectural sense. And I think it was he who pointed the shot out to me that we could do this. Uh, we required an extra probably 10 or 15 grand to shoot that day. And Tony got it for us. It was great. You know, as we added a little bit of money, uh, and it wasn't a lot of money, but as we added a little money, it did uh, it did help open the picture up now sure. and then. This is one of those, uh, I guess, symbolic scenes, right? They've thrown all the the saints on the old lady's saints out onto the wa- right. onto the walkway outside the house, which is going to allow hell access into the right. house. Oh, great. This is a big house. You like? You know, it's very interesting. I, I can see this. Um, uh, the, the lady sitting to my right now, Ashley Lawrence, hasn't changed a bit in the intervening 15 years. It's uncanny. <laughs> you have... Uh, well, of course, she was only 10 when you shot <laughs> this, That's right. right. That's right. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> but this house, this is a house. I mean, we should point this out. There's no set here. This is all... The geography of it is exactly as, it's, as you see it. And... Uh, I think we knocked one wall down, perhaps. With uh, permission or without? Yeah, no, with permission. Mm. I, I think the house was for sale, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, because uh-huh. someone had supposedly gassed themselves. Do you remember hearing that? No, they had put the gas on in the in the garage, and they killed themselves in their Is own car. Is that true? Really? I don't know. That's what they, well, that's what wow. I heard. Can I come in? This is a sequence I like. Can I come in? There's something quite nice about this past and present uh, interwoven. Julia's memory of first encountering Frank as he returns, the younger Julia encountering the younger Frank, and their burgeoning relationship intercut with the cuckolded husband hauling the marital mattress up mm-hmm. the yes. stairs and about, obviously, to spill blood. It's a scene I like. Here's the past. It's Julia's memory of, of, of encountering Frank home from Hong Kong where he's been conquering whores. Now she's remembering him. And Frank is Sean Chapman? Frank is Sean Chapman, but not Sean Chapman's voice. Right. An American voice. So she slides the photograph away out of view. She doesn't want to have any conversation with Kirsty because she wants to really remember in solitude her encounter with Frank. Julia? She goes upstairs into the attic where obviously a lot of this stuff is going to take place. Nice, nice uh, shot from David Barron there who was our um, cameraman. This again, all in the house. None of this shot on set. But then we step into a set. Am this, I right, Ashley? Is this? Is this? this no, this was. This still is the, in the house. house. This was the house still. Yep. This was the house still. This was still the house. This was right above the stairway. Yes, you're right. You make you're a right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly but, right. But you did, in fact, build a we replica re- for Frank to come back up from the floorboards. That That's was right. It. We right. reconstructed so this house, this room, rather. Just, yes, yeah, just this room. Mm-hmm. Wedded bliss 
And now we're back into memory again. You're gonna let me kiss the bride. What is also very potent in all of this, pulling it all together, is is Christopher Young's score. Yeah. Which is tremendous and lush and large, much enhanced the movie immensely. What about Larry? This is just shot beautifully. Yes, Robin Vigeon. Well, Robin Vigeon loved to shoot women. Yeah. I mean, he just loved <laughs> yeah. to shoot women. He really did. He he loved that. Didn't you have to do this twice, too, because it was so hot? We did, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We did a scene, we did a version of this which had some spanking in it. And the MPAA was not very appreciative of that. Um, and I don't, we, Lord knows where the spanking footage is. Um, Someone has it. It's somebody on, has it somewhere. It's on the internet, I'm right, sure. Right, right. Um, but they they had said, and this is the honest truth, um, they actually couple on the bed in a little while. The MPAA told me that I was allowed two consecutive buttock thrusts from Frank, <laughs> um, but a third would be deemed obscene. Oh, so two is all right. Two is okay. Consecutively, two. You're allowed, you're allowed that, but... Two is all it takes the MPAA I would to think come, by I guess. and large. And then, you know, and then what's very perverse and fun about this is he is the moving of the, the mattress and he is the nail and he is the fucking. So we're right. backing and forthing between the fucking the and nailing. the nail. Well, the nailing and the exactly. nailing. Yeah, yeah, you were there before me, the nailing and the nail. Right, exactly. But actually, I mean, what's, what's nice as well is, is the third element of the intercut, which is Claire's face when she's remembering this. And I, as you say before, it, it's a family saga. Yeah. And, um, Everybody's in this. Right. It's never enough. And that's a nice shot. That's a very nice shot. I know people who've, you know, slowed that down to see how much genital detail there actually is in it. <laughs> Yes, it's a nice, um, a nice interweaving, and there's a lot of plot elements Absolutely. revealed in all of that, and and character and theme as well, because it is this um, her longing for this lost passion. Right, it unleashes a lot of nasty stuff. Well, literally, now we're right. watching the blood is begin the unleashing. Right, it is what cinema can do, not uniquely, but. Uh, cinema is very good at this kind of um, marriage of elements, uh, uh, the past and, and the present. Mm -hmm. She's also like his mother. There, she is, isn't she? Not his lover. And that's... Yeah, she is. Well, that's how my mother is when I bleed. Just don't look at it. <laughs> Just don't look at it. Denial is good. Denial is good. Yeah. And then this is where we, we actually... We Oh, for sure. <laughs> This was very simple. This was just, uh, you know, rigging blood to come up through the nail holes and then uh, the, f the filming it in reverse. And this is where we had the fake room. Right. Because we moved below the, the floor. There's a little plastic bag there which was being inflated, I think, probably by Bob Keane's breath. Right. It's just an accident. He's all right. Look. Will you drive? He needs stitches. Yeah, sure. Uh, the keys are in the kitchen. And there we're now, of course, we were back in the regular house again. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of value to be had, particularly in the low-budget movie, from real geography, from a real place. 
I think we got a lot of qualities, atmospheric qualities. Absolutely. It really did become kind of laden with yeah. the whole experience day yeah. after day. Yeah, and then, you know, it got very cold. It was November. There was one toilet. We all knew each other very well by the end of the... <laughs> intimate, intimate group intimate. of people. Now, tell me again, Ashley, are we back on the set again now? Um, I think I think with the rebirth stuff... Well, see, this looks like set to me. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yes, this is set for sure, because this is where... That's right, this is all set. And this is where uh, Chris Young's score, which becomes large and rhetorical, and it's almost like a waltz score, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Just tremendous. And all the gloop and those rats, those poor sweet rats. Sweet little rats. Who would do absolutely nothing but look at us sweetly. <laughs> I know, they're so domesticated. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Now, all of this was a later edition. Now, the sequence is later edition, yes. or you'd shot it once? No, no, and no, no, no. It was, uh, it was all a later edition. What had happened in the original draft was that because I knew we didn't have money for a sequence as elaborate as this, um, we'd seen the blood drop onto the floor. We'd seen it uh, disappear into the floor. We didn't have that shot moving below the floorboards. Mm -hmm. And what had happened, I guess, was that we later on Julia had come up and found Frank and we had to put the pieces of the narrative together when New World saw the movie they liked the movie they said you know there's good stuff here uh, we can um, we can spend a little more money on it and I think the whole thing was you know 25 grand or something but uh Bob Keane was exceptionally good he he gave us a wonderful deal on the creation of this piece of special effects because it was something he'd always wanted to do. <laughs> um, and it's a wonderful piece of effects. I mean, it's very uh, much of its period. I suppose now you do it all by CGI. I'm not convinced it would necessarily be better done that way. I love how no. lymphy it all is. How <laughs> yeah. what it is? Lymphy. Yeah. No, I think you're right, Clive, particularly with this kind of effect, because plastic or flesh, there's still a physical reality a physical that reality, isn't... Yeah. I don't know how the movie would have played without that sequence, actually, because if you think of that sequence being out, what would have happened in the, in the version that I wrote without the enhancement was that we would have had um, uh, Larry being taken off to hospital with a bleeding hand, then we would have cut to this party scene. It would have been nowhere near as effective. You would, in effect, not have the bomb under the table. You the wouldn't have had the bomb under the, the table. The audience knows there's something up in the attic and these guys don't yet. And everything that follows on, this is a much more powerful scene in its, in its sort of um, simple way because you know there's something disgusting upstairs. Right. Okay. Okay, stop. I'm not going to be able to stand up. So lie down. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nelson, who's standing or sitting rather to the left of Claire, there has passed away since we made this movie. He was oh. one of the first, there he is, uh, one of the first, I guess we would know him from Boys in the Band. He was extraordinary in Boys in the Band. Uh -huh. A very nice man, very sweet man. You have to come to us next. Yeah, real soon. But now all of this stuff is charged up with the idea that uh, um, something's waiting. Something's waiting upstairs. Nasty. Yes, exactly. Claire looks wonderful, I think. She does. Claire was Claire was an interesting 
ears an interesting person. Yeah, really. He is a very interesting person because she has so many of her own demons. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And the demons were something that she accessed, as it were. Oh, this. yeah. Yes. Generous, generous Can, you, can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, we didn't get along very well during filming because of that. I think we both kind of embodied what each of the characters went through, and so we didn't speak very much, and she was rather scary, and she did show a real dark element in her performance that mm-hmm. um, was organic. She's she's Catholic upbringing, I think, and had a a dark history, which she freely brought. She was brave. She was freely brought to this. And again, you know, a great act of faith shown in us. I mean, or most particularly in me. I mean, I was this fledgling guy who was goofily saying, gee, I want to scare the the hell out of America or whatever else. And she was giving her heart to this thing. But you were thoughtful about it and passionate about it. I was passionate. We're in the trenches with us. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. any one person going through something alone. No, no. Well, I believed in it. Oh, God. I'd forgotten <laughs> that shot. The happy rats eating their oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. Was it oatmeal? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that that is very interesting, Clive, that like your enthusiasm for a genre to which actors are not necessarily drawn or interested, like Ashley, I know, is not interested in horror movies or right. likes them. My guess is Claire wasn't. Um, but your passion for the material, your belief in the material can can win the actor over to, to bring a seriousness. But each character is very human, too, so right. it, it's what they're going through. It's not scary to be scary. You You have... A reason for every single thing that's done here. Mm-hmm. Help me! There are a couple of cheap boos in this movie, but there aren't a lot of them. No. Uh, and actually, that was a complaint from um, New World quite regularly. Though it wasn't opportunist enough, it didn't really deliver enough of those uh, those little jumps. It was a time when movies were very jumpy. A Nightmare on Elm Street had come out, sure. it was a, which was a very yeah. effective uh, boom machine. Uh, Halloween had been right. um, very successful at making people jump. This movie, I don't think, makes people jump. I think it disturbs people. Oh, it's insidious. Right, and, and booze and, and jumps do not date well. You know, the eye, the, the audience's eye gets faster at reading those things. And the disturbing nature of this movie will, will last longer than if you'd... Yeah. Blasted it with things jumping out of cupboards. Yeah, know? I think the S and M element of it, which we'll get to, is sure. when the, when Pinhead and the gang appear, is also one of the things which uh, gives it some power. Um, it, this was before people had really sort of before that piercing and S and M had become hip. almost hip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I. I I wouldn't write your own influence in the fact that it became hip out of the issue. I mean, I'm sure there were other elements too, but I think. Uh, Yes, I think... I, I think, think Hellraiser helped popularize <laughs> the notion of damaging your body for fashion. There was down, there were Hellraiser nights uh, here sure. in L.A. Certainly, Cinematic used to have Hellraiser nights. There are a lot of people who come along to signings with, with really wonderfully elaborate Hellraiser yeah. tattoos and so on. You have to heal me.
That's a nice gothic shot. Uh -huh. I've always loved that one. Yeah, she looks great. And she's in white. Yes, but her eyes are so trem tremendously. Look at you, you're all innocence. And giant she's... Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> what? <laughs> you look like a giant Cocker Spaniel. Oh, I don't think I'm uh, even going to remark on that. <laughs> I... Yes, a nice mm. closure and all of that. Uh -huh. This is supposed to be America, of course, and there's a nice English train going by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but to be fair to you, it wasn't supposed to be American when you shot it. No. There, there was redubbing. There was redubbing because they had discovered that they thought the movie had some life in America and that it wasn't going to work if it was perceived as a British picture. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much truth there is in that, you know, in hindsight. Perhaps there was some truth in that. What do you think? I don't know. You know, this is we, we live in a decade now where they subtitle Ken Loach movies. That's so true. It's completely so true. So maybe they're right. Maybe it would have. Yes. I beg your pardon. Hey, we're not all three. Actually, could could you just lay a couple of Hellraiser myths to rest? The uh, the tramp, the guardian of the box we just passed. He's not me. It's not you, and it's not Alan Moore, the famous comic book writer. No, either, right? it would have been okay. wonderful if it had been Alan. <laughs> I like this shot. Um, but it's uh, great. yeah, the one where we pull out pull out from from the lovers there and then we we cross fade to you know here's the nascent love affair you know it's not going to last that long but um <laughs> and then ever? you go to the two you know to what marriage really is <laughs> somebody <laughs> somebody lying snoring and farting on one side of the bed while the other one has a good smoke and curses the moment they ever got married and their bed looks like a cage right exactly and we probably knew that <laughs> And then remembers that moment of pure love when, when, and, and here's the reality, here's what Frank has become. It's, cinema can do those things, to go from the, Sean Chapman's a very attractive man, and, and now we're asked to believe that this, this is what he's become. become. And here's Julia, who's fresh from a masturbatory f memory. Well, she looks of, the most open, the most innocent in the whole film right here. Right. And she's about to say, I will commit murder for you. And all she gets is a kind of little thankful grin of gratitude from him. I like that moment when all the light Lights goes. Lights go out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A dream sequence. This, this dream sequence really, as much as anything, because I love Argento movies and I wanted a moment of pure Argento surrealism. It never came off quite the way I wanted it to, but, because we didn't have time, we didn't have long to shoot it, no, am I right? No, we, we had to wrap. This was like a one or two take thing. Right. And you look great there, Ashley. Your eyes are great. The this was one of my great. favorite scenes. Yes. But everyone was wearing, um, masks because of the feathers the feathers and the smoke and then you were all telling me it was fine <laughs> <laughs> lying hurt. is that what you're saying lying? it can't hurt you we're wearing masks yeah, yeah no, but you, you described what was going on for me because we didn't have any of that no we didn't have the puppets you, we no, didn't have anything you were describing the we? baby crying you yeah. were describing what I was seeing Kirsty. Kirsty, Kirsty, <laughs> you all right? Yeah. When they made Lord of Illusions, um, oh, 
somebody was remarking upon the curse of having to deal act opposite mm-hmm. um, things that uh, don't exist. Famke Janssen, who mm-hmm. was in the movie, she she said that well, there were large sequences where she was playing opposite mm-hmm. illusion. It must be very very hard. I I've done very little acting, and uh, on on screen just. Mick Garris has asked me to do a couple of things on occasion, and I've done them, and it's been great fun. But I get so nervous. I get so nervous. How do you get nervous? Um, I get nervous if I don't believe in the project, or I feel like there's incompetence around. Right. If I feel safe, no. And a lot of times, I like it when something's not in front of me because whatever I can drum up in my own imagination, I know what I'm going to respond to, huh. or how you were, and giving me. A visual, giving me metaphor, giving giving me things I can relate to and respond to immediately. Right. But you knew that. Right. This is a nice moment, I think, coming up off a man returning to his bed, and there's the thing. He looks almost sweet there too. Yeah, like a baby, like mm. a little boy. And now another of my favorite sequences, uh, because it, the story starts to really catch some momentum you know mother's going out to work (laughs) and she's in black now she's the black widow it's you know one reviewer called this what Ibsen with gore or Chekhov with gore or something and and certainly that's true because of the family saga but Strindberg I think it was Strindberg oh well much classier yeah yeah Um, but the moment where she walks out of the house dressed like that um, and I use the term as a compliment we moved to high gothic. Yes. Completely. It's, um, the, the metaphor now overtakes... The femme fatale. Why not? Even her hair is sort of done. I like this. This was a great thing because there's a long dialogue here and we got it in one shot. We just moved towards them and they played it. And it's very strong. And the reason why we got it in one shot was because of the way the house was constructed. None of these walls were were removable. So I couldn't get overs, and I couldn't get singles on these uh, people because there was nowhere to go with the camera. So I did it in one slow tracking on them, got ahead of the game incredibly because we got, we got the whole sequence in a very fast. And it had a wonderful reality to it. Very little light, just that backlighting through the through the the vestibule there. Two performers who knew exactly what they were doing. No coverage. I think we had probably had two takes of it. Hmm. You know, this was probably the second take, and that was it. And performers who know what they're doing is is the single greatest aid to a director. They know what they're doing and care about the project, have learned their lines, and don't trip over the furniture. (laughs) Right. That's not my line, that's not a card. And it's quite a long sequence here, you know. I mean, we've been watching this for a while, and it's all in one. And on a low budget particularly, oh, it's... It's a gift. We yeah, were ahead of the game. Right. And, it, you know, I'm sure I bought it so that, it would, so that there would be overs and singles. So we ended up getting doing it all in one shot as opposed to perhaps five. And we were ahead of the game and maybe made back a little bit of lost time right. on the picture. So what's going on? 
Now, I, I don't want to lose the nice narrative flow you're giving through the whole movie, but it was your first time as a director of the feature, and you saw that what you just did was a better way to do, um, maybe pragmatic, but a better way to do the sequence. How much learning were you doing on set? Like, would you have known that was a better way to do it until you were thrown in the deep end? At the end of the day, I'm not sure there are... I think it's all pragmatism. You, right. you know, in this room, we have uh, an actress. We have, I should say, actor. That's better, an actor. Uh, we have writers. We have, I paint. We make movies. Chris, who's taping this over there, is, is a screenwriter. Uh, a lot of arts practiced in this room, and I think the, one of the common elements surely is that, that you, very often pragmatism is what, is, is what it comes down to. It's not how is it best done, it's I have to have it done by Monday. Right. And that's the simple truth of it, you know. It's the simple truth, and, and occasionally when you stop worrying because you've got to get it done by Monday, pragmatism gives you the best version. Very often gives you the best version. Because you don't think too much. You don't overthink it. Loveliest woman I've ever seen. Oh, Christ. What's wrong? Uh, I love that he's wearing black socks. I love, I love that he's vulnerable. Yes. I love that he's there in his underwear and she's about to hammer his brains out. Yep. And it's, uh, it's an inversion of all the things we were watching. There's gothic, if ever there was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was cut by the MPAA. Again, a, a count of strokes being the issue. Uh, yes, <laughs> they're really into that. And I never put it back because you know it was it was stronger and nastier without uh -huh. the, without the material. There's probably two and a half shots gone, and I think he, he, she hit him an extra time. I think there was a close up. Of, I know there was a close up of a hammer on the head. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I had the choice to put it back in again, and you know. It was better, and it was more violent the way they had demanded that I do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is nice. Coming down off her as she's gasping, looking at the monster, coming in and the body twitching like that. It's and a, then the door closing. And then the door closes. Yeah. A lot of closed doors. Small house. And here we're into a piece of something that is going to play as domestic farce. Because here's the, you know, she's just committed murder in the family house. She's got to get the blood off her. Um, when's the hubby going to be right. home? Um, that's a great shot. Her eyes are so wonderful there. She puts me in mind of Charlotte Rampling mm, in that shot. Yeah, right. And, and there she is dressed in blood and black lace. Like blood a, and black Like a lace. Mario Barber title. Yes. This is nice because now we're into the effects, and they're all physical effects, of course. There's nothing um, CGI here. This is all physical. Well, literally, CGI hardly existed when this movie was made, right? I think right? it didn't exist. Well, I'm maybe I, not, I don't know. may not have existed at all. I know none of us owned computers when the movie was made. Right. This is beautiful, I think. Uh, an actor called Oliver Smith in this makeup, the thinnest man we could find, um, with obviously several layers of makeup on top of him so that he still looks skeletal even with those layers of makeup. And 
I was very fond, and Pete, this goes back to things that we looked at when we were kids together, mm-hmm. or at least adolescents. Uh, Titian did a series of etchings uh, for a book of anatomy for an anatomist called Vesalius. Mm-hmm. And I, you'll recall how obsessed I was with those images. I recall being a flayed man for you. I and... mean, I, I, I flayed you and... <laughs> um, Put you in in a much cruder version in, in, in a tiny movie. Moment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now here comes the domestic comedy because Daddy's home, you right. know. And uh oh, oh, when we just trod on the corpse and look, he's just arrived, whistling. This is, I think, you know, sort of way Hitchcockian, because we suddenly have this. Um, transference of affections. We don't want her to get caught, do we? Um, she's, no, she's just exactly. committed murder. Uh, this is Norman Bates taking the body of Marion Crane in the car and dropping it into the swamp and then finding the damn thing won't sink. Right. And it's a very fine trick because equally, if we're nice audience members, we also don't lose sympathy for Larry. We absolutely are on, uh, on Julia's side right. without making Larry the enemy yeah and it's an so it's, it's a module the modulation mm-hmm. the, the the true modulation i think is in the performance right I and mean, i'd love to lay claim to it myself but i think really it's in it's in what claire does and what andy does uh-huh. claire is giving us something very vulnerable at the same time as giving us somebody who has just committed the most graphic murder andy is sort of dumb and it's easy to not like him too much right now and we had that conversation at the time I said don't don't be too sympathetic here because if you are we're going to have a real problem at this moment uh-huh. the audience can't like him too much this is nice now the husband's downstairs having a drink and she is doing the most risky thing she can possibly do. She's going back upstairs because she needs to see him again. She's in love. She's absolutely in love. Her version of love. Yeah. Wow. Well, everybody's version is weird. Exactly. Yeah. Not to heal me completely. That really is a nice sculpt job, though, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Look at that skin. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? And Oliver, who smoked constantly uh, <laughs> that drip of slime from his chin as they're speaking oh yeah <laughs> he would sit there smoking and the makeup would go on just a moment just a moment she says put on some music will you babe yeah sure it's like those wonderful pictures you see on the set of Frankenstein of Bride of Frankenstein of Karloff with a cup of tea and the cigarette yes, yeah he would sit there smoking with his with his you know his full Vesalius makeup on. <laughs> but what I liked about those Vesalius etchings was that they were so elegant and so classical. And I think that one of the things that Bob Keane and his team achieved was a kind of perverse beauty in what Frank is. He's grotesque, of course, and as you say, Ashley, he's he's dripping all kinds of disgusting Lymphy. gunk. But <laughs> right, but there's also a beauty in it. Well, and his an insides are sure. exposed. Yes. I'm sorry, I'm 
new here. You're going to have to wait. Yeah, I think because he moves and he articulates. And I think, like you said, the Vesalius pictures, he didn't do them as cadavers. He didn't do them no. as corpses. They they looked like this is what we'd look like if we didn't have they skin. They were leaning on pillows right. and almost conversational. Mm-hmm. Remember this scene we had to shoot in two hours, too. Do you remember? Yes. And it was very early in the morning. We turned up and... The night before had been a particularly nasty shoot. Had it? Had yeah. we done something disgusting or shot something disgusting or just yeah, we were just well, tired? Yeah, I think it or? was just a high, high anxiety. Okay. And then we had all those darn things. Now, when you cast him, were you clear about those, like... How do you feel about crickets kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I think I was pretty honest with everybody about uh, the nudity, the violence, and the crickets. <laughs> the maggots were a surprise, though. The uh, maggots yes. were a surprise. They were, as I, yeah, I take that back. I don't think I was entirely honest about that. Well, no, you, um, we had a maggot wrangler. We did. Yes, and you walked up to me very quietly and you said, um, Ash? I, I want you to see something, and you put your hands in this vat of maggots to show me that they wouldn't hurt, and then got me to put my hand in the vat of maggots, and the maggot wrangler told me they wouldn't hurt me because I was still alive. <laughs> and that was the day that all the investors in their three-piece suits came to, to watch. <laughs> you know what I do remember also is the noise they make, because they kept them in the fridge. The, ooh, yeah, that little shh. Well, they put... Um, Sawdust in there. Yeah, so oh. it's the rustling. And they stank. I like this actor's look a yeah. lot. Another of those simple sort of, uh, yeah. I think we did a version without his underwear on as well, which they uh, decided they wouldn't use. He was a very brave actor, and he said, oh, we should, we should just be doing this naked. And her hair, of course, looks even more fabulous. She's, she's, she's getting more, better. Right. She, she looks more like Cameron Diaz by the moment. <laughs> or, as, or, as drawn by Patrick Nagel. Right. Yeah. Or Elsa Lanchester. Or Elsa I mean, Lanchester. Her, her gets bigger as she uh, Yes, in. I was thinking of something about Mary. Um, but, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she's taking pleasure in it. And she's taking pleasure in the darkness of it. Here's where I was inspired by watching Oliver smoke while he was in makeup. I said, you know, I watched him doing that one day, and I said, right. wow, you know, we should just do that. We should put you in a shirt, and we should just let you I can taste that. behave as though there's nothing. And this is a great sort of surreal image, mm -hmm. you know. You promised me. The lady and the beast. Right. He's sexy, though. Really? Yeah. And then, of course, the box comes up, because we haven't talked about the box. Well, right. There's this whole mythology you invented, which was to, to spin off into the other movies. Mm -hmm. and Though not, of course, designed to spin off. Exactly. Relatively, obviously not unimportant in this movie, but not the thrust of the movie. Not at all. Backstory. Yes. These guys are backstory. Yes. Pain and pleasure. These shots of uh, Sean Chapman upside down were shot when we were testing the cameras. 
Um, really? And we decided to see if we could get away with something we would be able to use in the movie. We hung him upside down, we poured blood all over him, and the poor man puked like a dog. Oh, really? Yeah, he suffered. This was the foot, and we swung him around. And this was the this was before principal photography had begun. It was the Friday before we began shooting on the Monday. And he was so brave, and I thought, we really have a a great guy here who's just willing to step up to the plate. They won't get me back. This I love, this sort of strange romance of the the decayed man or the semi the semi resurrected right. man and his lady love talking in the shadowy attic. Andy and I talked a lot about the fact that Larry was had a lot of repressed violence in him. That's why I think it was I think it was Andy's idea that they'd be watching boxing. That Larry was the kind of guy who would like to watch this because, in actual fact, there was a lot of anger in him, not least towards his brother. He just never got to an excuse to yell. Or yes, something. exactly. Mm-hmm. Throwing the TV guide at the right, seat. exactly. Yeah. And now this is Hitchcockian as well, isn't it? This is uh, the something upstairs. She knows what it is. Mm-hmm. The audience doesn't really want him to find it, or do they? I mean, do they want? Do they want the? Well, they simultaneously want and don't want, which uh-huh. is where the tension comes from, uh-huh. right? It's it's just that I hate the thunder. I'm here. You're safe. And then she uses paradoxically. As an excuse to distract him, sex, nothing. and she feels sexually, I think, absolutely nothing. Repulsed, I think, yes. which makes it so painful to watch. Yeah, and so she's using her wiles to distract him from discovering that her own lover is upstairs. I mean, this is where it gets into the area Webster would have perhaps right, uh, right. explored. Webster or the comedians, because it would also be. Um, you know, my lover's hiding in the closet, so I'll flirt with this my husband. This is Brian Rex territory. Yeah, right, this is, exactly. This is, we should explain to American uh, listeners, Brian Rex, the great farceur of, of the 50s and 60s in, in England, who who was famous for, for creating situations in which that most um, common of English experiences, embarrassment, uh, <laughs> was used as a sort of cornerstone. Now we're fully expecting him to be jumped. This is a boo moment that doesn't deliver, consciously, I suppose. Mechanical rats. Well, delivers by not delivering, I think. It's not that there's not uh, a satisfying payoff to that scene. It, It delivers by not delivering the expected. And now while we are waiting, now what we're asking is if the monster isn't upstairs in the attic, then where is it? The door is open to the and now we see. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see these two in bed together and she's anxious and he doesn't care because all he's concerned with is getting his rocks off. Oh, he's a starving man here. He's a, You're good. That's right, he is. He's a starving man, isn't he? We get the monster's POV through the through the mm. lattice of the 
of the uh, the closet, and she's still watching, anxiously afraid of what the heck's going to happen. I mean, she's got uh, her husband and her lover in the same room at the same time. If things were going well, they'd all just... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to finish that for you. <laughs> And again, the dialogue has double meaning. Yeah. She's saying, Dom, I can't bear it. She's terribly afraid of what he's going to do. And then he does something sort of symbolic. This is what I'm going to do to your husband. It's such a heavy flop, too. Yeah, it is. As a rat owner, I now <laughs> own rats. I don't know you do? I, yes, yeah. You know, I did for years. Yes, yes, yes right. they're beautiful. Yeah, now we have five rats. and They're like little dogs, aren't they? They're the sweetest things. I don't know whether I'd want to play that scene any longer. I think I've become a wuss. You're all over me in the next... And he's well, so humiliated. You should reassure the viewers it wasn't a real rat. No, no, oh, a fake rat. Not only that it was a fake rat, but that we actually had to take the mechanical rat and, to and the BBFC, the British Board of Film Classification, to prove that it indeed had a mechanism in it and mm -hmm. that made it twitch. I don't know. This was another of those scenes which we did in an hour. We did this in an hour because we turned up to do it and the Chinese restaurant where we were shooting it, which was in Hampstead, there was some miscommunication. We arrived, and the fellow who was use. letting us in, do you remember, wasn't there, and we yeah. waited outside uh, yeah. um, or for perhaps two hours waiting to find him to let us in. By the time we got in, everybody got their makeup on. We had time for a wide shot and... Um, like one take each. One take each, yeah. yeah. And, of course, you can never do anything about that. It's, it is what it is, but... It was one of those scenes which always frustrated me. It's informational, and because it's informational, you want to do something that's a little bit more stylish so that it, it doesn't come across as informational. I know. It makes me tap my foot, too. Yeah. But there was nothing to do. I mean, it was. I had a nice circular movement set up, I, yeah. but couldn't do it. Somebody to talk to. You can't love him. You know I do. So where's the harm? I said... Now no. she's in red. red. Right. Somebody else before they come looking. So she's the same color as no. he is. And she's very into this now. She's completely found her moment, hasn't she? I love this when she lets him in and then she looks back. He's not so sure. When her mouth so gets sure. all tight. Yeah. Yeah. She just loves that. Wonderfully cinematic face. I didn't see it, but I was told she was an amazing Cleopatra. Oh, I could imagine that. At the National Theatre. I think she played it more than once, but that she was extraordinarily seductive and sensual and sexy and dangerous. Everybody does. Waiting in the wings. This is the set again, I think. Am I right, mm -hmm. Ashley? I think so, yes. Come in. 
because I seem to remember we got a top shot out of this when we had to climb up. Again? Jesus Christ! Clean. Yeah. This victim is kind of pissed off about the whole thing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. This was a scene for some reason I found incredibly difficult to stage and I agonized over it. I remember Robin Vision being really useful in talking me through the whole thing. And then when you get up there and there's a little fight with him, it all became much easier. I don't know what it was, whether the actor, the victim, was having a difficult day. I, I don't know what it was. I just remember it being one of those days when I really felt my amateur status was showing. Also, when you had all that makeup on an actor and it took three or four hours to get into an actor into makeup. It would take a toll on everybody's energies and temper. Interestingly, Pinhead, who everybody would think of as being sort of Mr. Hellraiser, is, is hardly in this one. Has hardly appeared, has he? But it's the way he's appeared. Yeah. It's so majestic. Yeah. But it's definitely been, I think, a case of less is more in this narrative, at least. Mm -hmm. This is about a bunch of human beings and uh, how they manage to misuse one another emotionally. And the demoniacal stuff is simply a, an addition, you know. We had to reshoot that. We did, reason. didn't we? Yes. Can you remember why? That's saw funny. into the room or there uh -huh. was something. It was a technical thing. In fact, yeah, yeah. I sucked. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say it was a technical rather than an acting thing. Like We had actually remarkably little in the way of technical problems. I mean, there's the top shot I was talking about before. Right, so that's where we go. It was definitely a set because if that had been the real room, we would not have been able to it. get so high. Mm -hmm. Don't touch me or so help me. Uh, what do you do? What can you do? This part came easily. I remember it was just the earlier murder. It was just, it was murder. Here's another place that was cut by the MPAA when you stick your hand actually in into, into his belly and was actually much better in the shortened version than I left it that way. It was mm. actually much more believable. Sweet. There. You can, you can see how there will be reason to have slightly more at the head of that shot. Right. You gave all of us such a hiding. Do you remember this? Yeah. He was yeah. bruised and beaten. Well, I was also, I used to play third base, and so we had one shot to, to throw this out the window. Right, 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 right. Because we, um, we couldn't replace a window. That's right. But there was also this sense that you were, that, that when physically challenged, you were an actress that, you know, one had to be a little careful of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that's great. I mean, not just for Ashley as the actor, but Kirsty as the character. It's like, oh. plainly, you know, the ingenue is freaked out by her first encounter with a monster, but she's not reduced to a gibbering wreck. Which was... She hollers, she swings at him, she... She kicks him in the balls. Right. right. That was your idea. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we meet the nuns. And I fought for the nuns. It was hailing that day. It was, it was a cold day. It was day. so cold, and they swept me down. Right. It was so cold. It was so cold. And then and, and they said, but we'll barely see the nuns. And I said, yes, but the French critics will get it. <laughs> <laughs> She's being passed by by two nuns, you know. I remember really not liking this sequence when we saw the picture again together for some reason. Do you recall that? Oh, actually? Vanity, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Because I, I quite like it now. I think it's good, actually. Yeah, it's really... Well, also, it was so unpleasant for me to shoot. Yes. This is nice. The flower on the television. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Emerging to signify her coming back to consciousness. And also in a way like you see in school when they show those films about evolving and mm -hmm. everything's done in slow motion. Mm -hmm. And then we only realize that the word the flower comes from when we go to the wide and we realize that it's there on the television or mm -hmm. when well, I think there it is. Mm -hmm. In a different color. Yeah, yeah. Good girl. What happened? I'll get the doctor. Wait a minute. How did I get here? I like her kind of dominatrix belt. Yeah. <laughs> I never N noticed that. Nurses can do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it wasn't conscious. <laughs> yeah. Please get back into bed. I have to call my father. That's easily arranged, but first, back into bed. I, it's important. It really is. First things first. We'll get your telephone after we've talked. What about this? Ringing the bells? You are hanging on to it like grim death. This is where the box and all its significance starts to play in the movie. I mean, up until now, it's been pretty much a movie about a bunch of human beings. Right. I mean, it's it had supernatural elements, yeah. but the supernatural elements haven't been hugely significant. Now, in, I suppose we're in the third act of the movie. Right. Uh, we've just begun the third act of the movie. We move into a supernatural realm. Literally, a door is about to open into hell, and, and our comprehension right. of the kind of narrative that we've been watching is going to change. And that's sort of interesting. She touches the, the thing. The television starts to go on the blink. I don't notice. Uh, you don't notice. She starts to solve the problem of the box. Well, it's a very seductive box, too. It's, it's beautiful. Simon Says, one of uh, Bob Keane's designers, designed it, and it, it really it is was bright. lovely. And it served well over the periods of the various movies. It's appeared sure. in lots of... I like that shot, too. Oh, yeah, that's great. This was fun because it did something particularly tricky when it, it goes back down. Right. Mm. My grandfather used to bring back from the east, he was a ship's cook, puzzles of various kinds, and that box definitely belongs from that period of my life was oh. those little puzzle boxes that he would bring. There is an era 
visible somewhere in the sequence, somebody told me. One of the special effects boys can be seen at the I, end. Somebody of told of, me that the yeah, freeze frame. Your freeze frame is visible at the end of the corridor. This is one of those moments where we really are, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors because this was a tiny corridor. There was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to run. It ran 15 feet, maybe? Maximum, and the creature was seven of it. Yes, exactly. And behind the creature, when we eventually get to him, was a huge gang of not unsizable special effects guys. <laughs> Pushing. Wheeling the port. <laughs> right, Wheeling right. like hell. And, of course, no CGI to take out any of that detailing. It all had right. to be done with uh, the removal. The only way it could be removed. Basically, it was running in place, and then we would all have to turn around and right. run the two feet back. Right, right. So the camera is moving down the same length of corridor again over and again. And again. Over uh-huh. and over and over again, exactly. And here he is. And here's the, the engineer. This sequence appears in a, in a Verhoeven picture, yes? Basic in Basic Instinct. Instinct. Basic Instinct, yeah. Yeah. right, yes. That I like. Yeah. That, that has a strange, it's a weird quality to it. And, of course, it's, it's a little guy... Mounted on, <laughs> right on a on a sort of uh, uh, some kind of podium on wheels. There, the set was very unstable, and it was a big beast, wasn't it? It was yeah, a big. Yeah, it was thing. large. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you having me bounce up and down a lot, so my hair would move, so it looked like I was going more quickly. Yes. Uh huh. That's pure illusion. And obviously there's technical tricks you use to convey that illusion, but also the telling of the story and the emotional investment we made in Kirsty and the rest of the characters also lets the illusion work. We're, we're ready for that door to be opened because we've gone on the journey with her. Well, my, I think that's got a lot more to do with it, to be perfectly honest, than any great right. technical sophistication. I mean, that's one of the places where I really think you see the absence of money in the picture. Yeah, that's true, but, you know, strength of imagination will always conquer paucity of resources right. and, and not vice versa, as right. we see from uh, yes. very expensive movies that shall be nameless. Yes. <laughs> this was another of those sequences. I was sick as a dog shooting all of this stuff, physically sick. I was going out and, uh, into the uh, This was the, the last shot of the night. Puking. Yeah, but the whole sequence. Yeah. And then, uh, for some reason, I had the flu or something, and I was just sick and then poor Nick Vince who was pasted into that glued into that makeup do you remember yes and I could not get out of it because that was the only way we could well he took off off. some of the skin on my upper palate when he put his fingers in my my mouth because he couldn't see my mouth very well right and we did like seven takes of this for technical things I remember we had to keep stopping yes did we reshoot this? No. We didn't? No, they actually wanted to do the sound over, and you said no because you wanted to retain the original the energy roar, of the, the scene. The rawness yeah. of it. I remember being very aware that this was, we either sold the guys, you here. know, effectively here, and it was genuinely powerful, or it just would never work. Right. And I got very self-conscious. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I, I got very self-conscious about the fact that they all look ludicrous. Mm. 
there was this guy with pins in his hand. And when Doug walked on stage, I would love to be able to say that I went, oh, my God, that's a revelation. I didn't. I thought, this is a screw-up, Baca. <laughs> people are going to laugh. And I think you're always walking that line. Sure. And, and, you know, plainly history has proven that you walked on the right side of it because nobody laughed at these guys. They, no. Particularly Pinhead became iconic. And now you made a very interesting decision then. This is their first major appearance and you bathe them in light. You don't yeah. keep them in the shadows. Yeah. There's that very unsettling over neon look. Yeah. Which, interesting I, choice. Well, um, uh, I think uh, uh, Robin Vigeon had some very plain views about this, which we, I and mean, he and I disagreed about them. Uh-huh. Uh, Robin was very much of the old-fashioned uh, less is more tradition that right. you, and, and I think maybe Robin's opinion very much was that, that you showed less, and my opinion was that, that these were cool creatures and, and we'd spend all this money on the designs and you may as well see them. This is my cousin, by the way. The, the one who masturbates her throat. Yes, exactly. She'll tell him everything. I definitely had certain thoughts about it when I saw it. It may be one of the reasons why I spent so much time in the toilet puking. <laughs> I was so anxious because about Because you thought the, he might have been right. I thought he might very well have been right. I'm sure it could have worked the other way, but there's something very nightmarish about that white light. Well, it's, it's, part of it is it's not what you expect, right? Right. And also then we intercut with this darkened house and where the final portions of the, of the drama are being played out between Frank, uh, Julia, and Larry. Well, you also expose the Cenobites. I mean... Yeah. And they're nasty. And they're nasty. They are nasty. Yeah. So yeah, there's they're when they're <laughs> when when they are exposed, they're just worse. Yes. It's best you see for yourself. I left her here, safe and sound. I even locked the door. Well, she's not here now. You've said before, Clive. If you don't have the right guys under the latex, that stuff isn't going to work anyway. And. Uh, and again, as with the characters who don't play in prosthetics, you've got believable performances. Performance, performance, performance. Mm -hmm. and, and This was one take, too. This was. This was. Yeah. And this was late at night, do you remember? Yes. Everybody was so weird. And you know what she did right before the scene? She petted me right before she walked inside to, to begin the scene. Oh, she did? Yeah. Just to give you a Yeah, and trip. she sang a little song or something. It was just, yeah. yeah. Oh, to really creep Very you out? Very antagonistic, uh-huh. How great. It was beautiful. That's a lovely shot. And then she remembers. Oh no, she doesn't remember. She's no, doing this it. Is but real. She's, she's in... doing it with she's doing it with her lover in right. her husband's in skin. skin. Mm -hmm. When I first auditioned for you, I remember it, it, you were like on your way back to London and you said, yes. Okay. It was it was a cold reading because they you guys couldn't find who you we're looking for and you said okay your uncle is in your father's skin and he's trying to have sex with you and kill you not in that order <laughs> I was like, oh, God. tell that story of how we found one another oh um i was in a teenage drama workshop with someone who was paing i think in the office over at new world right and she had said i know someone who would be right for this and you were like no <laughs> right. <laughs> she was like, no, no, we're not even friends. She's just this girl in my workshop. And they called me and said, go there now. And, and You went I, to the offices. I we went to we the did it at the offices. You were on your way to the airport. Yeah. 
Yeah. Jennifer Tilly came up to be a Universal and I'd auditioned Jennifer Tilly for this role. Can you imagine? It's, oh. very, it's a very different, different movie. Different movie. Mm. We auditioned an awful lot of people. And you know what you did? That You did two things in that very small room. You screamed your lungs out and you wept. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, <laughs> I remember thinking, we have. And, you know, here. weep a lot. There you see, there's, there it is almost. I mean, you were completely willing well, to do that. Well, that was the one take thing. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. But look at them. I mean, look at who I was working with. Yes. I they are the Macbeths, aren't wrong. they? Yeah. They are the Macbeths. It's finished with now. You also didn't care about looking messy and no, dirty. and. I like it better. We yeah. talked about that. You yeah. were like, I don't want one of those douche commercial heroines. I, I want you grimy. Did and you I was say like, douche commercial? You did, didn't you? Yes, I, I did. Was, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that. That's, that's a <laughs> defining moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I am grimy and sweaty. and Completely. When I'm feeling better, I'll go to the police and try to make them understand. God knows. I'd liked immensely God what uh, Dario had done to Jessica Harper in uh, Suspiria, mm -hmm. where uh, Jessica ends up looking incredibly messy and wet, and you know, she's the rainstorm, and right. even from the beginning of that movie, she looks completely sort of beaten up. Look, you see Claire's even playing she's with you there. She's petting with me there. there. You know, I don't, I think it, I had ever seen that before. She's just messing with you. Oh, yeah. Show her. There was a tradition in, for instance, the Friday the 13th movies that the uh, the boys and the girls looked very perfect. Yeah, and, and see, uh, he didn't touch me like a daddy should either. No, he does this thing with the eye, too, which he invented on the spot. Oh, when he slurches it around? Yeah, and we <laughs> said, what are we going to do? We said, well, just put a noise on it. Let's listen. Little moist thing going <laughs> on there. The moist thing of, of just fixing the skin. Ah, oh, man. Those are the moments which make it so much worthwhile when you invent something. Now we are really in sort of sort of Greek tragedy territory. Here is the skin right. body of my father, of your father, and the demons are about to sort of do a deal with you. This is a great shot of Doug. Well, Clive, I know you've spoken about Doug a thousand times in print and on tape, but just in case there's some newcomers. Uh... Tell them that you knew him when. Say something about the well, guy. Well, Doug, I knew at school when Doug was 14 and I was 16. We did school plays together. We did uh, little films together, some of which are on tape, uh, rather on DVD. We did um, plays which I wrote. Uh, then, of course, we all together made theater pieces together. Mm -hmm. Doug was offered the role of the removal man, played by Oliver Parker, or Pinhead on the basis that Pinhead would be a pain in the ass to play because you'd have to do all this makeup stuff. And Doug and Ollie, I think, debated it back and forth as to who was going to do... Really? Yeah, huh. who was going to do it. 
I think they decided Doug sort of took the short straw because it was a makeup <laughs> gag, you know, and right. he was going to be buried in makeup. It was going to be a pain in the ass to do it. And then, of course, he ends up sort of taking the post around the reviews. Right, and entering the movie the pantheon. monster pantheon, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a nice moment because you're recognizing for a moment right. that this is... is not my dad. This is not your father. <laughs> nice, simple gag there, the tearing... So much for the cat and mouse shit. <laughs> this is a very unforgiving movie, it strikes me looking at it now. Well, you have the whole frog and the scorpion thing with him, too, because he supposedly loved her, but he can't help himself. He tried, absolutely. Claire hated that, hated that, because she looked so glamorous for the movie. Mm. And then, you know, she was, oh, man. And now we've got a very simple haunted house. Where are you, beautiful? The girl is upstairs, and Uncle Frank with... Flick knife is coming to find her, and we have a couple of booze. We have a couple of those moments. Yeah. Opening that cupboard. Opening the. There are two, I think. One, the first one is the stronger one, which we're about to see, and the second one is the maggot scene. Um, <laughs> sorry. But th- what's great about this is that, that we're really reduced to the simplest of dynamics now, a pursuit in a sort of haunted house. Here we go. Ooh. And what's great there is that of course, by Jesus. it's Christ jumping out at Of you course know. it is. Yeah. And I have to put him away. Put him away. Be quiet, Jesus. Shh. Shh. <laughs> Silent savior. Say, say, say nothing, savior. <laughs> We're in this together. Um, and then we had this tiny, tiny little space. And you recall that I threw the through the uh, the the maggots. the maggots down your cleavage. Yes, but again, I was sprayed down to be sweaty, so they stuck. They were they in did. my bra. They were in my jeans. If it's any comfort, they I, they found their way down my underwear as Good. well. So. <laughs> I was, I had sort of, you know... And I the was, investors were beaming because it was such a tiny space and there they were. We kept having to move them out of my eyeline and they were just so happy to be witnessing this. This is, But this is pushing the heroine to the very limits and I really, I really liked that. I really liked the... Here we go. Um, well, I'm not brave. I don't want to be courageous and I don't want to be there, which is really nice, I think. Yeah. And you look sick and unhappy, and you're not uh, one of those beautifully primped... Um, like I took a risk and didn't wear mascara right, in the movie of the week, right, prison movie? Right, yeah. right, 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 right. The Farrah Fawcett Majors uh, dramatic uh, classes, don't wear mascara. <laughs> really stretching. <laughs> really stretching. Although she actually went the other direction, didn't she? 
What, too much mascara? No, no, in the whole extremity. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, yes. A saucer of milk for Miss Lawrence? <laughs> no, no, I was actually <laughs> defending. Ah. <laughs> Rare. This is one of those moments when the audience, I actually heard an audience on 42nd Street just yelling, Get out, out of, of there, there. bitch. <laughs> yep, yep. They were so unforgiving of you. <laughs> I know. It's very indulgent to just sit there and cry. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm from a middle-class family. <laughs> and then this is, this is, this is, I love this. You're driven by your uncle in your father's skin to slip to over the, the body the of your entrails own father. of my father. <laughs> right. Daddy. No, don't mourn him. He was dead long before. After a while, you couldn't do continuity with any other wardrobe, so I had to wear that T-shirt for three weeks yeah. in a row every yeah. single day. You think we didn't know that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why bathe? Yeah. Right. What the hell is that? This is a great moment for the plotting. It was one of those moments where it really plays. He admits to his own undoing. Because you're right. As you say, he forces Kirsty back over the entrails of her own father, but he's chasing her into the room where something worse is waiting for, for him. him. Yeah. And how. And how. There's a scene coming up which is I am asked about more than anything. There's a line coming up which I'm asked about more than anything, which is Andy's final lines, mm -hmm. Jesus wept. Andy's choice, a brilliant choice, shortest uh, chapter in the Bible. I had had him saying something much coarser, like, fuck off, actually, and it was just, you know, real, <laughs> really subtle stuff like that. <laughs> and Andy had said, no, no, I want something different, and... He delivers these lines, or these words, uh, hooked up. And he, it was the most uncomfortable thing for the man. Because uh, he was hooked up there for hours. Yeah, I know. And he had a board to which he lay back upon, yes, do you recall? Yes, I remember that. But the poor man. Something out of... We could never get away with this stuff now, I think. And see, Pinhead loves me. He lets me go. I think the great thing is that he's indifferent to you. I think that's the that's cool thing. That's not what she needs to hear. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. No, I have a whole, a I'm whole, sorry. <laughs> whole other thing going on. Yeah, because he lets you go in the second one as well. I, I, I think there's the, the seeds of a romance well, there for sure. Well, you see, by the time oh, we got to the, the second one. It's the one on the spine. Yeah, that does it. But here he was hooked up and he could not move because all those... Chains were in That's him. where his being a real pro came in, though, because I remember he oh, was amazing. He was. This. Jesus wept. <laughs> oh, man. Now, that was a longer shot. It was a much longer shot. Uh -huh. Body pieces went every place. Again, hmm, well, perhaps that one in, in another life I would have let 
run slightly longer. It looks slightly truncated. I don't know where the hell we would find that material now. Right. But I'm surprised that they they made you trim the explosion, which at least is an end to prolonged human suffering, and, and kept the shot before it. Well, we had to cut um, a lot Around of the licking the... of the lips. Yeah, right. But, right. Um, but that's not suffering, that's enjoyment. Right. So well, you can't have enjoyment, like. that's, that's the thrusting too, like. yes. Yeah, yeah. Remember we added that? At the end, the yeah. being able to pry from yeah. the fingers. Yeah. And here we were shooting against time. Do you remember we had so little time? Mm -hmm. And we had Doc on that teeter board. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. And he was, it was like a seesaw. Yeah. And he was standing on one side, and Selwyn Roberts, was, who was a massive man, was on oh the other end. Oh, my God. Lifting Doug up into the air. takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? It does. You know, here's another place with the destruction of a house where if we'd had more money. Mm. I hand animated that stuff with a very nice Greek gentleman at his home you one did? Sunday. Yeah, we had no money left and New Line refused to pay for any of it. So I said, well, what if we just hand animate the the stuff uh, and uh, so we both of us got very drunk on Greek beer and I hand painted all the I like that. Yeah. It was very amateur Bill. I didn't know that. But it doesn't look that way. No, I guess it looks okay. Oh, the bride. Yes. We got this in one. Vision said we'd never get it, that it would never fall directly on him. And we got it in one. He said, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and then we couldn't have the box hit him, do you remember? Mm -hmm. Because we only had one mask left at that mm -hmm. time. And right. if we, if the, so it all had to be faked. And because, the poor thing couldn't see to back up. See, see yeah, you trusted point. me. Yeah, well, he trusted you, which is even more important. And then Simon Bamford, who had played with us in the Dog Company, done a lot of theater stuff in the uh, Butterball. He's slender, uh, too, in real life. Tiny, tiny little guy. He plays in Nightbreed, one of the most attractive of the Nightbreed, sweet character whose name completely escapes me right now, with a little dog. I like that my boyfriend does nothing. <laughs> Your boyfriend is completely useless throughout this entire movie. But you know, he's there for you. He is. He but is. that was absolutely, as they say, a choice. I mean, I, I love that. I, I love the idea that you were the proactive one, and this guy uh, is dinky but sort of useless. Yeah. And actually, I think that's one of the reasons why people like the movie, is because you are so proactive. That's involved. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> we had so little footage here. And, this was uh, actually fun, though, because you were just shouting out, like, what to do. Yes, yes. Give him a right, left, right, right. snarl, scream. And shooting at night, remember? Yeah. And that wind machine, everybody oh, yeah. filled with dirt. That was somewhat crude, huh? 
I don't think Robert, who played your your boyfriend, had a whole heap of a great time making the picture. He was miserable. He was. Yeah. I think he felt as though that he was not being given enough to do, and um, that was the point, and there wasn't much to do about it. He wasn't playing the conventional hero. He right. wasn't defending you. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. He was your foil. I wore that shirt that he's wearing for years after that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it so much we cleaned it off. And I, I loved doing it. that. This is like one of the only times I'm actually somewhat clean. We shot this on that wasteland, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And Oh, but first we didn't have any money to set fire to the house, so we did it symbolically. Right. Yes. Which isn't so terrible an idea, actually. I mean, if this had been a common film, we would have had uh, a little model, a little model, actually footage which you'd seen twelve times before of, of or like a real church in Russia that they just decided right to, to burn down. <laughs> yeah. This I like though. I like the burning chair in the bottom left. What's left of something domestic? Yes. Oh, is this the house? You know, it never figured to me before that this is the house. Is this supposed to be the ruins of the house? I don't know. Uh, you would know that, Clive. Well, you're asking the wrong person because I've always... It was always a, called Wasteland, so It was I just a Wasteland know. scene, right. and there's a flyover behind... I don't think we live so, so, so it, close to the industrial... I don't think so. <laughs> so it's not meant to be. I don't think so. I think it's just a sort of... You know, it's interesting. And now. again, this is not you? No, this isn't me, but this was a gag. I, I, it's a good Nor gag. Nor is it Paul McCartney. What? It was a, no the stepping into the fire. The that was a it was a good uh, strong gag, a good punchline. The total burn on the uh, on the guy there, and then Bob Keane producing this monster for I think something like seven hundred pounds or something. <laughs> the squealing pterodactyl. This because we had no money left. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And we needed it for a couple of shots, and he gave us something. This looks like wonderful. a really bad gap ad. It does. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, exactly. And then the nice full circularity. With Very the cockroach, nice. too. And yeah. you know, I, I never realized we don't see the creature fly away. I mean, no. that's a nice trick. We get the POV flies instead. We but, couldn't show because it didn't right, do anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my memory of it is that the creature flaps ah. its wings and flies that's away. Good. And then there's a yeah. symbolic little version of the, of the beast painted on the uh, wall. Kenneth Nelson, there he is. Hmm. Good guy. A good guy. And their lead Cenobite, Doc right. Bradley. Wow. Yeah, Pinhead was a, was a, a nickname, was a right? Nickname. It's stuck. It was not even a nickname I liked, actually. Right. Pinhead seemed to me to be a very unflattering uh, nickname for a... Kind of docile. Right. Kind of... Yes. Claire St. John, I think, uh, the production coordinator... Uh, was, am I right in thinking she was the very sweet lady who offered the alternative title to this movie? Is that right? At one point, uh, New Line said, we don't really like the title Hellraiser. Uh-huh. We think it's, uh, we think it's rather, uh, we just don't like it. 
They, they thought it was beneath their usual standards. Well, I think they also thought it was sort of a, something that wouldn't play in the South and the world. Right, all, all right, this stuff. right. And so we had, so I said, okay, if anybody in on can come up with a better title, we'll use it. And one of the very, very English, uh, very proper ladies on the set said, oh, you know, I think it should be called What a Woman Will Do for a Good Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's certainly the logline of the movie, if, if not the title. And, and, and your alternative title was Sadomasochists from Beyond the Grave. That's right. right. Well, that was my working title. Yeah, right. Oh, boy. Equally accurate. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Well, say good, you. say goodbye Bye. to your listeners. Thanks, and uh, thank you for, for for listening to this uh, this mixture of memory and uh, nostalgia. Actually, it's made me want to go make another cheap movie. <laughs> you guys didn't need much prompting at all. Your memories well, were no, very entertaining good. and uh, very thank informative. You. Thank you. Goodbye, and thank you very much. Thank you all. Hope you had fun. Bye. <laughs>